Mountain State Mysteries contains adult content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener's discretion is advised. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Courtney. And this is Mountain State Mysteries. Today, we want to tell you about the second oldest case we've covered. A case that claimed the lives of four family members. A case that after 114 years, people are still searching for answers of the Hood Family Massacre. George Washington Hood Sr. was in Caswell County, North Carolina in 1892. He married first to Ivana Webb, daughter of Martin and Francis Webb. Ivana Webb Hood died in 1857. Her death record stated her cause of death was a hemorrhage of the womb. Where Ivana and George were married is unknown. However, they were in Raleigh County, Virginia in 1857 when Ivana died. George Washington Hood Sr. enlisted in the 8th Virginian Infantry later to become the 7th West Virginia Cavalry during the Civil War. After the war, he was approved to receive a pension for his service in the Federal Army. George Washington Hood Sr. later married Arminta Bailey, daughter of Brooker Bailey and Sarah Stover, on January 10, 1867 in Raleigh County. George and Sarah's children were Sarah Almeida Hood, Alethea Hood, Joel Hensford Hood, George Washington Jr., whose twin died at birth, Lucy May Hood, Royal J. Hood, Winfred Hezekiah Hood. Arminta Bailey Hood was born about 1846, died February 14, 1894. She is buried in the Mount Tabor Cemetery located in Raleigh County. October 31st. 1909 started as a normal day for the Hood family. In their home four miles outside of Beckley in Mount Tabor, they made the most of the Sunday by attending church. The four younger members of the Hood family attended the evening service at the Mount Tabor Baptist Church. It was an exciting day for the family because 12-year-old Emma had been baptized that Sunday morning. Almeida, Emma, Winfred, and Roy attended the evening service, but their father decided to stay home. After the service, Almeida, Emma, and Roy went home, while Winfred and his friend Walter Harper decided to go to a neighbor's home where they had taken some young ladies. Winfred and Walter were stunned to find the house on fire when they got back home around 11 p.m. The kitchen was nearly consumed and the flames had reached the second story and the fire was beyond controlled. Walter and Winfred rushed to the front door and knocked it down, but the heat and flames were too intense that they were driven back after several attempts. Only a few minutes went by until the roof fell. The boys couldn't hear any cries from the house. 
As soon as the flames had died down on Monday morning, the search for the Hood family began. The four charred bodies were found in the debris. The legs and arms of all four bodies were burned off. The bodies of George Hood and Roy, their skulls had fractures in them. The girls' bodies were found missing their arms and legs as well. They were also missing another part of their body. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. The heads of Almeida and Emma Hood were missing. Officials began to wonder why the flames burned hot enough to destroy the heads of the girls, but not the men. They also wondered about the fractures in the men's head. Could it have been from a gunshot? Why did they find an empty cartridge shell near where the father and son were laying? As Monday went on, a large crowd traveled to the site of the fire. One member of the crowd was prosecuting attorney Dunn Squire P.P. Rail. So court, this kind of actually reminds me of Nellie and Ray's case, where the people were coming from all over just to see the smoke and where the family was found dead. Right. The day after the murders, the Black Knight Country Club workers recalled their day was basically showing people to the spot the murders took place. Immediately afterwards, they implemented a coroner's jury. Doctors Hume, Snuffer, and Sampson were instructed to examine the bodies. Each doctor confirmed that all of the bodies were in such bad shape that it was impossible to determine whether the death was the result of the suffocation from the fire or in the Hood family had been murdered the night before. The coroner's inquest continued in Beckley on Tuesday morning. All three of the doctors were called on to testify concerning the examination of the bodies. Dr. Snuffer said that the remains of Almeida, Emma, and Roy were found in the east wing of the house. George was found laying partially upon a bedside spring in the west end of the house. The doctor also stated that the skulls of two of the victims showed conclusively that there had been violence and that the death had not been caused by suffocation. Actually, small pieces of bone were found embedded in the brains and cavities of the head of Roy, which basically indicated a blow to the head. The jury returned with their verdict. We, the jury, find that the deaths of G.W. Hood Sr., Almeida Hood, Roy Hood, and Emma Hood were caused by burning or other violence. The remains of the Hood family were placed in two caskets and interred in at the Mount Tabor Cemetery on Monday afternoon. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. Immediately after the Hood family were laid to rest, officials started to find the murderer. The nearby communities were uneasy at the thought that there could be a cold-blooded killer just wandering about. The person's suspicion fell on was Mike Farrell, who had been interested in Almeida. The Sunday of the fire, Farrell had gone to the Hood family to visit her. 
However, he had been drinking and his actions were found to be offensive by her father. George had told Mike to leave. Farrell left but remarked that he would return later that night to escort Amita to church. He didn't show, so the girls went alone. By Saturday, investigators were ready to make an arrest. They tracked Mike down, who worked on a five-man bridge carpenter crew for the Virginian Railway. Taking no chances on missing any clues. You want to guess what they did, Court? Uh, arrested Mike Farrell? They arrested the entire crew. Oh, shit! They had been living in a shanty car on the sidetrack near Herberton, which is now Willis Branch near Pax, West Virginia. The crew included Mike Farrell, Nelson Thompson, Riley Durham, Ed Scruggs. Farrell, Lively, and Thompson were transported to Bluefield, where they were given a sweating by the Baldwin Feltz officer, James O'Connor. Durham and Scruggs were taken to the Beckley Jail. No matter the amount of intimidation, nothing shook their story, and they all proved to have adequate alibis. The Raleigh County officials were determined to solve this case and ease the minds of the citizens. Two weeks after the murders, Raleigh County Court offered a $1,000 reward, which would be $33,420.55 in 2023 for the arrest of the murderer or murderers of the Hood family. Deputy Marshal Dan Cunningham was brought in to assist with the case. Not too long after joining, he uncovered a clue that seemed promising. He learned that a couple of days after the murder, Nick Keene had sent a suitcase full of his clothes from Harper to his wife in Beckley. He sent the clothes by the hack driver, Hugh Wright. Keene told Hugh to tell his wife that she need not be excited because of the bloody condition of the clothing in his case. He instructed Hugh to tell her that the blood came off of the other fellow. The very next day, Keene was placed under arrest by Cunningham and George W. Williams and transported to Charleston. However, oh no. Keene would be able to prove that he was not in the Beckley area during the time of the murder and police were forced to release him. The next case might remind you of someone from episode 9 in season 1. The Greenbrier Ghost? How is there a connection? Well, I'm glad you asked. A woman from Huntington named Miss Blake, who was famous for her ability to communicate with the dead, with no one being arrested yet, a friend of the Hood family visited Miss Blake and begged for her help. She agreed, and the visitor later reported that he had a chance to interview the Shade of George Hood. The Shade? Yeah, I guess he meant the apparition of George. To me, and this might shock you, I'm not talking about the interview with the Shade. I'm taking the interview with the Shade as a grain of salt. There's a lot of evidence that people back in the day would fake apparitions and stuff just to make people think they were actually talking to someone. But I'm not saying talking to George was fake, but I'm saying that the shade might definitely have been fake. According to the witness, Hood explained that he and his three children were murdered before their bodies were burned. The two girls were strangled and their heads were chopped off and placed into a sack. After 
the heads were taken to the deepest ravine on the Hood property and buried in the sand. Roy had been shot and George was killed by a heavy blow to the head by the butt of a pistol. The house was ransacked. Courtney, do you want to guess what was taken? Was it jewelry, money, guns, clothing? I, I just, I don't know. Just $40. What the hell? Right? The ghost of George maintained that the crime was planned by a white man, but carried out by three African Americans in masks. Officials denied any faith in the communications of Miss Blake. A search for the heads of the Hood girls took place, but it was unsuccessful. In April of 1910, West Virginia Governor William E. Glasscock offered a $500 reward which would be around $16,710.27 in 2023 for any clues in the Hood case, but no one came forward. Today, the only thing left with this case is a white marble pillar with the names of the Hood family and the words, gone but not forgotten. If you have any information on the case of the Hood family, email us at mountainstatemysteries304 at gmail.com. Courtney, do you have any final thoughts on this case? Oddly, this is one of the cases to where it's not as fumbled up as what a majority of our other cases have been. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, even back in the day, um, I'm sure it wouldn't have taken a genius to figure out that somebody's head was severed off before the bodies were burned. Um, I feel whoever done this was a sick individual. And in reality, with everything that we know about this case, they just seem like really good people who none of this really deserved to happen to them. And you know, when you think about now compared to back then, I'm sure now we would have more information and, you know, be able to see if there was any fingerprints on the bodies or anything of that nature. I mean, I just, I don't know. It's sad. Actually, um, fingerprints, if like something is burned, um, it actually kind of like melts or like burns into the item to where like you get like a better fingerprint or like something like that. So Mark, do you have any final thoughts on this case? So I know that we both learned about this case at the same time. We actually learned about it from our friend Scott Worley from Haunted Beckley. And like you, it kind of just blows my mind how like they really couldn't, they thought the heads were burned off. And to me, Maybe they were on the property somewhere. Maybe they were buried somewhere else. I'm not sure. But definitely, I feel like if DNA was around then, something could have been found. They could have figured out who did it. I know I kind of discredited Miss Blake, not saying she was fake, but I do believe if, because this was years after the Greenbrier ghost case. I want to know why they didn't believe her or the visitor to her. Because, I mean, they believe Zona's mom. So, 
It also makes you wonder, too, how much was this case? Was it in the press? Oh, yeah. You know? It, it was definitely in the press because a lot of this came from whatever the newspaper was back then. The Register, Herald, Raleigh Register, whichever it was at the time. A lot of this information came from there. So, I mean, it kind of makes you wonder, like, could she have just seen it in the seen newspaper? Seen it and then went from there. Yeah. You know? And I can say we visited the graveyard twice. Um, the first time, completely fine. Nothing weird. The second time was definitely creepy. Um, we actually went to both parts of the cemetery, which the other part closest to the church, very sketchy to get into, won't even lie. It's sketchy. But um, you can actually see pictures of their grave on our social media and on our blog. Next time on Mountain State Mysteries, we're going to tell you the story of Juliet Buffington Enslow. If you find yourself enjoying Mountain State Mysteries, take a second to follow, download, share, and rate it on your favorite podcasting service. It helps others find good true crime podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and wherever you listen to podcasts, all at Mountain State Mysteries. For the show notes, check out our website, mountainstatemysteriespodcast.com. Thank you.